This podcast was produced on Sunday, February 11th at 2.32 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for joining us. It's a... Uh, uh could be a fun and interesting one. Welcome to the hot box and Toking Tories. Well, they came, they saw, they made many, many irresistible people kind jokes. Farmers, the fishermen, the fisher people, sorry. <laughs> another, another word to the list of things you can't say in Justin Trudeau's Canada. Conservatives from across the country flocked to Ottawa this past weekend for the Manning Centre's annual networking conference, featuring some of the movement's biggest names. The ghost of Patrick Brown loomed large as three Ontario Progressive Conservative leadership candidates, Christine Elliott, Doug Ford, and Caroline Mulroney, made their morning televised pitches, each taking turns to promise to say no to a carbon tax. I'll say it, I am against the carbon tax. I've said it a lot. Carbon tax is a terrible, terrible tax. I don't even know why they put the word carbon in front of it. Well, I've always said that I'm against new taxes, and I said that the carbon tax is a new tax, so I... Uh, not in favor of new taxes. After nearly nine months on the job in his first major speech to Conservatives, federal leader Andrew Scheer laid out pieces of his much-anticipated platform. The first act that Canada's Conservatives will do will be to repeal the carbon tax. The next election, Scheer said, would be a contest between two distinct visions. It's now a question about being free or unfree. The choice is whether Canada will continue as a free and open country or whether Canadians will live their lives afraid to say what they think, always looking over their shoulders before they dare to suggest that maybe, just maybe, the government is not the solution to every problem. Scheer promised to stand up for freedom of choice, of thought and of religious expression. After winning the party's leadership, due in no small part to the presence of social conservatives, some Manning Conference attendees expressed hope that the party's agenda will better reflect these right-to-life issues. I think that in terms of social conservatives and, and maybe civic nationalists, we could, we could maybe open up like a bit more. There's more and more young people that want to run or become involved in the, uh, the Conservative Party because of uh, Andrew and, and how the party is so open to social conservatives. This year's conference featured panels on faith and politics, strengthening the family, social censorship and feminism. I don't know what's happened in the last eight years, ladies and gentlemen, because up until then I was celebrated as a champion of women and a lead feminist within this country. And now because I carry the capital C behind my name, suddenly I'm no longer worthy of having that title. One thing that was notably missing from this year's Manning Conference was all that populism talk that drove last year's agenda. There were no discussions of Trumpism or of Islamic extremism. Instead, in a rousing speech, Jason Kenney urged attendees to denounce racism and bigotry and be wary of the xenophobic threat plaguing conservative movements across the globe. The angry and sometimes seductive voice of a kind of demagogic uh, and xenophobic populism that kind of angry, divisive populism is poison 
and we must always be careful to root that out of our movement and ensure that this is a movement of openness, of inclusion, of the unity and diversity, the movement of equality of opportunity and human dignity. That must be the Conservative movement in Canada. We'll hear from the former MP turned leader of Alberta's United Conservative Party on the one thing he thinks Tories can learn from Justin Trudeau later in the show. This week, we bring you the sights and sounds of the Manning Centre Conference. We dig into the future of the Conservative movement with three new MPs. How will they avoid the traps the Liberals are setting and shake off what they call the party's rich white guy stereotype? I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. There's a conservative strain in, in large parts of the country, but as a whole, there's no natural tendency to, to be a conservative, to, to see the world in that way. And I think Canada has, has always been a little bit more progressive than it has been conservative, even though we've been governed by lots of conservative parties, right? And, and the evidence for me is like 2011, I think the conservatives won a majority in large part because it was a rejection or a, a fear of, of Jack Layton and the NDP winning, right? That, that it was a safer place to be. It wasn't that people were like, I'm a conservative, I'm going to vote for Stephen Harper. Uh, so the party has to find a way to grow the tent is, is my, big, my big thing. David Coletto, CEO of Abacus Data. You said you don't think that there is a natural conservative majority in this country? I, I don't. I think, you know, you look at the, the polling numbers, uh, you look at historic data, even in the last decade, uh, that, that, that you can find moments in which a large majority of people would say, I can see myself voting for the Liberals or the New Democrats whose ideologies and policies have at least recently been far closer aligned. Um, and then you don't as find as much evidence to say there's, there's a clear conservative majority out there. So you have to almost manufacture the conditions that create that group to come together and all vote together. And I think 2011 wasn't a good example of it. You had a really unpopular, ineffective Liberal leader. You had a somewhat surprising rise of a party that no one had seen govern nationally and so there was a lot of doubt and Stephen Harper coming out of the recession was a safe harbor for people and I think that attracted them to them right so but when you see when more people engage in the political process when turnout goes up it's a harder it's a harder equation for conservatives to figure out. Hi my name is Rachel Harder member of parliament for Lethbridge Alberta and I'm Karen Vecchia member of parliament for Elgin Middlesex London. Hi, I'm Garner Jenis, Member of Parliament for Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan. This morning at the Manning Centre Conference, Abacus Data CEO David Coletto talked to us about how to grow the Conservative Party's electoral base. And he made the argument that he doesn't think there is a natural Conservative majority in this country. He thinks that in order for the Conservatives to win a majority government, you need to manufacture one. Karen, I'm going to start with you. Do you agree with them? And if so, how do you do that? Well, I appreciate his comments, but I guess where I come from, Elgin, Middlesex, London, it is naturally conservative. So I represent an area in southwestern Ontario that it is naturally conservative. It's a very rural, agricultural, manufacturing setting, strong families. So I would have to disagree with that. I think part of it is right now we see a challenge for who's on the left right now. Are they NDP or liberal? I think we have a very, very solid base. And we do see that growing. I see there's a huge youth movement. I, I do see that with our students 
even today at the Manning Center. And I think as well, with uh, my sister's age, the group of 55 to 65 year old women, I've seen a huge change in the discussions with, in conversations with that group of women as well that are naturally conservative. Garnet? Well, I wasn't there for, for David's presentation. I have a lot of respect for him and what he does, but I, I'm not even sure what it means to say that there would be a naturally conservative or naturally liberal uh, coalition insofar as uh, most people, uh, politics and political categories actually not foremost in their mind one way or the other. They're thinking about their real lives, about affordability, about justice questions that impact their lives, about uh, the, the kind of society we want to be, but not in the kind of narrowly defined partisan categories that some of us maybe na more naturally think in because this mm -hmm. is the business we're in. Uh, so uh, I think that uh, that w whatever you say about the labels, if you drill down to the issues themselves, uh, there is a lot of opportunity for conservatives. I think there's a lot of people that, as a conservative, I would see as more naturally aligned in terms of values and objectives who may historically have not voted conservatives for, for various reasons. Uh, so, Who are you thinking about? Well, I think there are a lot of people maybe from new immigrant communities who might have similar values. I think there are people who have really been, been left behind by the Liberal Party's mm -hmm. intolerant approach towards people of faith. We're seeing this with the summer jobs program. There's a lot of people of faith that have voted Liberal and NDP in the past, uh, maybe identifying with certain messages around social justice, uh, but who are, are uh, tending now much more conservative. Uh, I think there's a lot of younger people who might uh, see themselves as having very socially liberal values, but are concerned about freedom, freedom of speech, freedom to disagree with authority figures, who are finding themselves less and less at home within the Canadian left. So there's a lot of people, again, who, who may not have voted Conservative in the past, but on the basis of issues, priorities, values, are uh, are very much reachable for Conservatives. So there's there's these opportunities, but I think it's a bit misleading to speak of any kind of natural majority, either for Conservatives mm -hmm. or, or Liberals. It really just comes down to to issues and whether those resonate with, with where people are at and what their priorities are. Rachel, how do you reach out to the people that Garnet is talking about if you're also at the same time not talking to them on things like the environment, not talking a thing to them on things like abortion. I'm going to borrow a quote from Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher said the facts of life are conservative. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And and it's it, it's reality. Look, at the end of the day, you need a job. People need a job. They need a way of, of having an income, a way of bringing in money. That's a conservative mindset. We're gonna, we want to make sure that you have a job at the end of the day. We want to make sure that you're making a living wage. We want to make sure that you're able to care for your family. Here's another fact of life. You want to raise your family the way you want to raise your family, according to your values, according to your beliefs, according to what is important to you. Uh, most people don't want the government to dictate that to them. There's a conservative principle. Here's another one for you. You don't want the government to be big and cumbersome and forceful. That's a conservative principle. That's a good one, hey? Uh, here's, here's another one for you. Um, what about freedom? Freedom of religion, freedom of belief, freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, freedom to be me. Everyone wants to be free to be their unique self. There's a conservative principle. Conservatism is alive and well. I think what we need to do as a conservative movement, however, is we need to get really good at messaging what it is that we're about, what it is that we stand for. And we need to invite Canadians into that and help them see that actually 
they are in fact many of them conservative Mm -hmm. so how do you do that you know what i think the bottom line is really the most important piece is getting out there and building relationship with people uh, I think relationship is is one part talking and nine parts listening. <laughs> so I think we need to listen to Canadians. I think we need to understand what's important to them and how to best serve those values um, and those those things that are that are most meaningful to them. Because what I feel like you're all saying is that you believe that you sh- that the values that you hold and that your party holds, most Canadians actually agree with you. Mm-hmm. But you haven't been able, it seems to reach out beyond this core group of 30% of the electorate who supports you, it seems, no matter what. So how do you develop a message that doesn't alienate the people who support you, whether that's on um, the environment opposed to a carbon tax, but also reach out to people who say that they, they might support you on lower taxes, but for them, maybe voting in favor of the transgendered rights bill is important to them? If you don't mind, I'm going to pitch in on here. I think the one thing I've been doing is I have been reaching out to the LGBTQ community, and we we have been really resonating. Um, I've been working with LGBT Tory and the uh, Center for Gender Diversity, doing things like that. And it's funny because, as we're saying, a lot of those core principles are all the same. And the biggest thing that we have to recognize and that Canadians also have to hear is we are a very, very big tent. We do accept people who are pro-life and pro-choice. It's everything like that. It's about having those good conversations. Rachel and Harder and I can be great friends and disagree on certain issues, but at the end of the day, we have respect, and that is a huge thing. We are not saying to somebody, this is what you have to think. And the freedom of thought, the freedom of expression, the freedom of conscious rights, all of those things are there. And that's the one thing. We've worked on Canada Summer Jobs together. I've been great working with Garnet and Alex Nettle and Ted Falk. We all come from different backgrounds and have different ways that we were raised different group beliefs but at the end of the day we want what's best for Canadians and so we can all work together and and still be true to ourselves and that's the one thing I really love being about being a conservative I'm not selling something that I'm not I'm selling who I am and feel like I can be genuine I don't have to sit out there and say oh I'm doing this because we don't mean more voters no I'm doing this because that's what I believe is right and I'm giving that long leash and uh, it's great under Andrew and and the party's principles we're going to just continue to grow i really believe that elfie i want to be clear that i i don't think what we're saying here is that well everybody's just a conservative they just haven't realized it yet it would be disingenuous to pretend that everybody Mm -hmm. really deep down is a conservative if somebody's listening to us and they just genuinely think that the solution to every problem is uh, more government programs and that government needs to dramatically increase in size. Uh, there are people who honestly think that. And that those people probably shouldn't vote for us, right? Uh, it, it, honestly, they probably shouldn't, right? But I, I do think that the, the, the principles and values that we hold can genuinely be appealing to a, a larger audience. Rachel talked about the importance of listening. Absolutely, we need to uh, to listen to some of the the priorities and concerns of people who are close to us, but maybe have had a, a reason not to vote for us in the past, whether that's uh, because they they didn't because they they heard that that we had something against their particular community, and we need to get over that barrier and say, actually, no, we don't. We share values in common with you, and we want to welcome you in the party. Um, and and some of those people who are very close to to us and share a lot in common, but maybe there just have been have been barriers in terms of of how they thought we perceived them. 
I think we can we can cross those bridges and and uh, whether that's getting to a majority of support or, or enough to get a majority government but not quite a majority of popular support I I'm very optimistic about getting there in the next election the Liberal government changed the rules around which employers can qualify for funding to hire students through the Canada Summer Jobs Program. This was done to ensure groups advocating against abortion will not be able to get funding. Well, last year we heard complaints. We heard complaints from Canadians that the, the, the organizations, some organizations that have been funded through Canada Summer Jobs were using, it, using the money to actively undermine the rights of Canadians, distributing graphic uh, uh, pictures of aborted fetuses, for example. Our government is doing something that has never been done in history, and that is put an ideology test on students getting a job for the summer. No religious group is going to be barred from Canada summer jobs on the basis of their beliefs, period. It's interesting, you know, you both mentioned the Canada summer jobs program. And we used to talk about wedge politics in the Conservatives under Stephen Harper playing wedge politics on different issues. And now it seems the Liberals are playing wedge politics with this particular issue. They seem they want to talk about Canada's summer jobs program more than you guys seem to want to talk about the Canada's summer jobs program. Are you are you falling into a trap that the Liberals are setting, or do you view that issue as a winning issue because maybe the Liberals have overplayed their hand? So maybe I'll just start on that if that's okay. I think from a political perspective, uh, the the Liberals intended perhaps uh, to deal with you know a relatively small sliver of of applicants, which are people that are directly involved in uh, pro-life advocacy work. Uh, frankly, I think there'd be a lot of Canadians who would wonder why the summer jobs program is funding advocacy. Period. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and you could you could make the same arguments for groups that are using that money to block pipelines, right? Um, but there is a huge swath of groups out there who come from uh, a faith perspective or don't come from a faith perspective, but simply don't want to wade into these issues. Uh, that are, in order to access this funding, being compelled to declare themselves on certain social questions. Uh, and this has really galvanized a range of different communities. Different Muslim communities have been quite uh, outspoken on this issue. Uh, I, I connected recently with a secular cultural organization in Alberta uh, that said, this is an issue, these issues just should never be at our table, right? Okay. It's not that we are you know, dead set on one side or the other side. It's just that, you know, we have a volunteer board, we work on uh, arts and culture issues. Why are we in a position of needing to, in order to get this money, declaring ourselves on these social questions? It's an issue of compelled speech. It's a violation, I believe, of the conscience uh, and, and freedom of religion provisions in the Charter. Uh, it's an issue of principle for us. Uh, but I think there's also a political opportunity because uh, it was uh, if the Liberals meant to go after that narrow sliver of activist groups, uh, it was a, a very poorly constructed policy because they have ended up uh, really galvanizing concern among that whole swath of civil society organizations uh, who just don't want to be involved in these debates but feel that they're being forced to be involved in these debates by being asked to check the box. And I think that some of those groups might have been more supportive of liberals and new democrats in the past and are now uh, looking to conservatives to stand up for, for their basic rights and freedoms. I think what needs to be considered, though, at the end of the day here is, you know, 
the Liberals put this attestation statement in place and they're expecting organizations to sign off on it. And within my community and across Canada, I've heard from organizations on, on uh, you know, from a multiple, multitude of different faiths and from no faith background. I mean, we're talking, we're talking municipal government here who, you know, some, some municipalities apply for this grant in order to help them fund students to cut their grass in the middle of the summer. Well, does this attestation, you know, does it necessarily prevent that individual from being able to ride on a lawnmower and be able to cut some grass and maybe pull some weeds or plant some flowers uh, around a town? Um, no, it, it has nothing to do with that student's ability to be able to do those things. But there are a few municipalities that I have personally heard from, and I'm sure there's others, um, that will not sign this statement just because of Garnet's exact point, And that is they just don't feel that it's right to have to declare on a social issue. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't belong. And I think we've a lot of this has been really focused on faith, but exactly where Rachel's coming from, we've heard of police departments, municipalities who will not sign that attestation. They think it is an overreach, and I fully appreciate that. In the City of London, I'm really proud of what's being done there. The diocese has come out, and they've put out, they're saying, we are not going to be supporting Canada Summer Jobs, and we do not want their funding. We're asking for more money within our community. But what we're free, what people are have to keep in mind is these are the groups that are doing our food banks. These are the groups that are doing our daycares and a lot of the cam- uh, camps for un- uh, misfortunate. Um, there's so many things that we have to be aware of, and I think what's happened is they've they're created a vision that did not need to be created. And it's fine. You can be pro-choice. You can be pro-life. You can be all of that. We are Canadians. And that's what we need to focus on. How can we serve Canadians best? It's not by dividing our country on issues of this sort. Well, they seem to have tried to divide you last year on the anti-Islamophobia motion. (laughs) Divide our party? Yes. I don't know if they did a very good job. It's funny. They've tried to divide our party, but I think we've been all on board on this one. And, And same when it comes to CSJ. I don't know of a single member who's sitting there saying, no, it's got to be signed. They're trying to divide. (laughs) They're trying to divide um, the electorate. All they're doing is having lifelong repercussions to what's going to happen within our communities. The state can use basically socially directed censorship to say, you can't talk about that here. This issue has been decided. If you talk about that, you're uh, you're guilty of racism or or gender discrimination or whatever. I think the question people have to ask about this attestation that the federal government is asking people to sign, otherwise they don't have equal access to a federal program, is what's next? We, in the media, often talk about abortion as the key issue for social conservatives. But there are other things they hope their new leader will push. My name is Alyssa Globe, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of Right Now. Right Now is a splinter group from the better-known Campaign Life Coalition. Practical steps that he could take when it comes to physician-assisted suicide if he was, in fact, elected in the next uh, general election would be to uh, increase access to palliative care. I think that's very important. Um, You know, people can't have a choice when it comes to euthanasia if there's no alternative and if they feel pressured or coerced or feel like a burden and there's no effective palliative care available, then, of course, they're going to choose physician-assisted suicide. Um, secondarily, conscience rights for healthcare practitioners. Uh, the Superior Court of Ontario just ruled that physicians in the province are forced to refer, even if it goes against their charter right to freedom of conscience. And I think that uh, he should definitely pass some type of explicit um, protections for consci- conscience rights for healthcare pr- practitioners. So those are kind of things in the short term that we would like to see. Hopefully, you know, more 
politicians will be elected in the future that you know help can help women in crisis pregnancies as well as respect uh, human rights, especially with regards to the unborn. My name is Jacqueline Dobson. I'm from Toronto, Ontario. I think a big misconception is that people don't think that conservatives care. Um, when people meet me and they say, "Oh, like why are you conservative? You're like a modern female woman. Why would you want to align with a party like that?" You know, that perhaps doesn't like abortion or doesn't like same sex marriage and things like that, you know, social issues aren't about that. Right now, especially in provincial politics, we're going for a new leader, but at least in our past leader, and while I worked under Queen's Park, under Patrick Brown, um, you know, he would constantly say it doesn't matter who you love, where you're from, or who you worship, you have a home in the Progressive Conservative Party. So social issues, in my mind, are not something that's necessarily on the table when talking about why you're a conservative or why you vote for this movement. I have heard that Andrew Scheer is very true to his own personal beliefs, but he will not be imposing that in terms of federal legislation, in terms of federal policy, which I think is a very good thing. I think everybody, no matter who you are in Canada, you're entitled, and no matter which party you're aligned with, you're entitled to your own personal beliefs. We have liberals that are social conservatives, if you can wrap your head around that one. Um, everybody's entitled to that. A woman's entitled to what she wants to do with her own body, whether it's pro-choice or pro-life. But what Andrew Scheer has decided by keeping his own personal beliefs to his own personal mantra and not to the party legislation and the party line, I think is actually a very good way to go. My name's Andrea and um, I'm currently attending the Manning Conference for today. And I'm right now I'm a third year uh, science student at Ottawa U um, with an interest in politics, I guess. And I'm also minoring in communications. I think definitely being a visible minority, um, I think it, it'd be great if they could have more outreach towards uh, the multicultural aspects of things. So um, I'm Chinese, like I was, I'm kind of a third generation immigrant on my dad's side and on my mom's side, she's a uh, first generation from Hong Kong. So for me, I, I feel like there are many uh, first or second generations like Asians or Europeans or anywhere really who are immigrants, first, second generation that really feel like that their, their views can be represented by the party. So it would be really cool to see kind of more of a growing movement of youth from different backgrounds. To be honest, I haven't seen many people like myself who are visible minority. And so, yeah, I just feel like there's this kind of uh, aura or kind of atmosphere where it feels like, oh, this party is only for the white upper class middle aged men or guys or women. Are there stereotypes you feel that Canadians or even some of the media hold about uh, your party that you wish would be dispelled? How much time do we have? Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I know that's what I was going to think. You know, uh, I would have to see. I would have to. I'm, I'm going to go back to my LGBT Tory stuff. I'm going to go back Karen to that. Is, Karen brought in a colorful button. Yes, because I've been wearing it because I've been with them for the last 24 hours. Um, I think what they do is. We're all um, we're all anti this and anti that, and, and that's not the case. I do see us of such a big party. I really do, and I think we only learn. And, and this is why I always say it's really important to have two parts of the conversation. We learn from others. Why are we? Why does that offend you? And if we're not listening, just like Rachel said, if we're not listening, we can't make changes. Uh, just because you're a conservative, I think they think we only think one way. 
we are continuing to evolve. This party evolves each and every day. And where people may have seen us back in the 80s and 90s and back in 2004, we have continued to grow and I think we'll continue to see, many people see so many things that they do and have in common. But we're seen as the the uh, strong-handed, white, rich guy. Well, I'm far from that, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm the, I'm the little white girl from Sparta. You guys can carry on with that. I, I just sit there and I think, hey, I break all those stereotypes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think another stereotype is definitely, you know, uh, well, Karen hit the nail on the head when she said, you know, kind of the party with the the old white guys and you know maybe even you know the rich boys club things like that and and look you know I'm I'm 31 years old um member of parliament I'm female and uh and I'm not the only one I'm not the only one um I I belong in this party every single woman who sits within our caucus right now belongs within our party and there are so many more women out there who share our values who need to be a part of the movement we want them to be a part of the movement whether it's by becoming an elected official if that's their passion and their heart then we want to come on side and we want to help champion them and make and and do all that we can to help them be successful in that dream we want them to be a part of us uh, if that's you know being a volunteer or if that's simply voting for a cons- for conservative you know, we we really very much want to reach out to women and demonstrate that they do, in fact, have a voice and a place within the movement. So I think that's a really important uh, stereotype to dispel. And I think even within that, one of the things that I have so appreciated about being a woman within the Conservative Caucus is that I am treated incredibly well, incredibly well well. And, you know, and one of the things that I see the liberals doing uh, is, you know, they've come up with a quota system to put women at the table in cabinet. And so this has resulted in a cabinet that is composed of 50% men and 50% women. And so, you know, in one way, that looks good. And it brings, you know, an equal perspective, I suppose, in terms of men and women to the table. But I think also, unintentionally, it sends a message. And that is that perhaps these women are at the table just because of their genitalia. In my party, I know that when I'm asked to do something or I'm invited to the table, I'm invited to take that spot because I'm qualified to take that spot, because I'm valued for the voice that I bring to the table. I'm valued because of the skill set that I hold. I'm valued because of the experiences that I have. There's something very empowering about being a woman in that context. So for, for me, in terms of stereotypes, uh, I'll just maybe I'll share an anecdote. I, I've been very vocal on the issue of the persecution of Muslim Rohingya in Burma. Uh, what I would say is the genocide of Muslim uh, Rohingya in Burma going on right now. I requested an emergency debate. It was granted. I remember one of my uh, colleagues and a friend uh, across the way uh, on the liberal side in the context of his speech began uh, by thanking me for having proposed the emergency debate and saying, you know, it's it's something you really notice when a conservative member is standing up for the human rights of a Muslim minority. And he, he meant it in sort of a generous, complimentary way. But but it, it bugged me a little bit because it's like, well, why are you surprised by that? I, you know, this is, I think for, for conservatives, we believe in freedom of conscience, freedom of, of uh, the, the, the full spectrum of, of freedoms. We, we, we believe passionately in the importance of justice. 
My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. Um, it is it is because of those fundamental convictions and that experience that I stand up for human dignity wherever it is threatened. That I stand stand uh, against injustice and uh, the sort of stereotype. Uh, propagated by by some people on the other side and, and sometimes it's it's sort of unintentional and sometimes they're they're trying to define us a certain way for strategic reasons is that well it's just all about tribalism i'm going to end with this question because i'm conscious of time but you know you've all made i think a very valiant effort in telling me and the listener what it is that you love about the conservative party and how comfortable you feel in the party and how you feel that the party is actually much more open than perhaps some people believe that it is when you look at ontario and you know the ontario pc race has been much in the news for other reasons but one thing patrick brown did after he won the leadership of the party was move the party to the center he uh, did not fall into the traps that the Kathleen Wynne liberals were setting up for him when it came to um, condemning Islamophobia. He uh, agreed with her on creating safe zones regarding abortion clinics. He supports a carbon tax, uh, making the case that this was much more um, better tax policy than the current Wynne system. Are there things that you feel the Conservative Party will need to do or messages that it will need to give to people on the environment, for example, in order to obtain this new batch of voters that you need in order to form government? I am from a farming community where I, I know our farmers do their best to keep the environment clean. And, you know, we talk about whether you're, when you're even putting on your nitrogen or when you're, when you're putting on your fertilizers and things like that. When we talk about conservatives, I think of conservation. I really do. And all the great projects that we did with wetlands, uh, the park that we have up north, there's work like that that can be done. And I think we have been seen as the party that doesn't support the environment. I think we do support it, whether it's at preservation, conservation, things like that within our local communities there's been great work done. Uh, Althea I was just going to say the, the the premise of your question is one that I want to explore a little bit in terms of moving to the center because it, it implies kind of a, a linear political spectrum model where we can sort of plot ourselves neatly on a line from right to left. I, I think that actually the linear political spectrum is is not the most useful way of thinking about how we build coalitions. The reality is, when you look at political strategy, we've got this whole space full of, of people with a range of different combinations of convictions. And successful political parties develop a coalition that appeals to, if they're successful, a large enough proportion of that space uh, in order to, to get the electoral critical mass that they need. Uh, and that doesn't mean going right up as close to your opponents as possible, not at all. It means having a message that's going to resonate uh, and be meaningful to perhaps people that it wasn't meaningful to before. Uh, and and there are there are different ways of doing that. So I think I think for us, you know, you talk about young urbanites. Young urbanites are not a monolith, though, right? There are some young urbanites who are uh, going to be sympathetic to far left causes, and they'll probably not vote for us under any circumstances. There are, on the other hand, young urbanites that are uh, very concerned about affordability and about tax rates, uh, but uh, but maybe 
want to be reassured that the Conservative Party isn't going to go in a certain direction on social issues, or they want to be reassured that the Conservative Party uh, is not hostile to them because of some aspect of their identity. And I think, uh, absolutely, we can we can very clearly through through uh, through the the signals we send, the the actions, concrete actions we take, the policies we proposed. Uh, remove those barriers to to welcoming people that that naturally share our, our, our values. But I, I don't think I don't think it's a question of moving to the center or moving to the left. Um, because I, I just think that, that thinking in those terms that the left has embraced. I mean I, I don't want to squabble with you about what's the center or not, but on a key on some key issues, he decided to adopt policy proposals that were closer to the Liberals. Well so because he judged that the electorate was closer on those issues and would be closer to the PC party on those issues. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that the way we would go about doing it would be different from Patrick Brown, obviously on an issue like the carbon tax. Um, we take a different position on that. Uh, and, and we do so from sincere conviction, not, not, uh, not sort of purely as a matter of electoral calculation. Uh, but there's no doubt that we should listen to good ideas that come from other places, that we should uh, be reflective of maybe aspects of people's experience that we that we haven't been as sensitive to in the past. I think we need to have a strong environmental policy, but I think we also need to have a environmental policy that's different from the government's. I, I see the government's policy as, as more about looking for excuses to raise additional revenue, frankly. You know, at the end of the day, I I, I would agree with Garnet in the sense that I, I don't know that it's super helpful to just look at one straight line and, and plot out where different parties exist on it. You know, I suppose to some extent that is a helpful exercise, but all in all, you you know, I, I think some people maybe hold more of a centrist view in one area, but then perhaps maybe more of a traditionally right view in another, or maybe a more traditionally left view in a, you know in another area. Um, but bottom line, bottom line, when you talk about does our party need to change? Do we need to become closer to the center? You know, in order to win the next election? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm okay. just saying that there are policy issues that you don't seem to have a message that is fully developed yet. And do you need to develop a message to reach those voters for whom those messages are really important? I mean, you could be um, somebody who is pro-life, but also thinks that a carbon tax is a great idea for achieving your climate change uh, goals. It's just that there are, it seems mm. like there are gaps in the conservatives' narrative right now on certain key issues that would help make them more approachable to uh, new voters. Karen is nodding her head. I want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know what? I. I mean, I mean. So you've brought up the environment. Are there other issues that you would bring up? Maybe the point is just the platform hasn't been released yet, yeah. though, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're right that there's a lot of policy areas where more will will be said between now and, and the election. Um, and I, I think we're, we're pretty clear on the kind of principles and the values that we have. But in terms of walking that out in concrete policy, absolutely. I mean, that's, there's, there's no doubt that there's going to be kind of a process for, for sharing that, those particulars as we, as we move forward. You know, 
uh, you don't have Andrew Shear's not out there talking about social conservative issues. He's not out there talking about being again not believing climate change is happening. But on the flip side, on the climate change in particular, you're not hearing them talking about that it is a crisis, that we have to do something about it, that there's an urgency. That's David Coletto again, the CEO of Abacus Data. He tried to make the point at the Manning Conference that the Tories need to do more to reach out to millennial voters, the largest voting bloc in 2019. But the Conservative Party's base is ideologically opposed to many of the issues millennials tell pollsters they care about. It's a huge challenge for any political party that has a, a more activist, um, ideologically consistent core. Um, and the NDP is facing the same challenge from the leap side of their, their movement. I, I think, and, and add to the fact we now live in a political system in almost every province now where you have to raise money from individual donors. It's, you can no longer count on the big unions or a big corporation to write you a big check, which means you have to appeal to that emotion and to those core values. And, and so um, I, I, it is the, probably the, the core challenge that the Conservatives face is how do you at once engage and mobilize and empower that base that's funding you and is the volunteer core, everyone at this conference, with the broader public that we need to say okay, you aren't scary, and you share many of the same values we have. And most important, I feel comfortable living in a country that's governed by you. The whole concept of these generations is simply a marketing buzzword. It means nothing. When I spend a lot of time delving into people's, what makes people vote for different parties, what demographics do it, what psychographics, what attitudes and beliefs and values impact vote. And I have to say that age is the single least interesting thing about somebody. A millennial, a 24-year-old who's married with a kid, has more in common with a 45-year-old married person with a kid, and a 39-year-old uh, grad student has more in common with, who's single has more in common with a 22-year-old that's single. There's things that matter in people's lives that impact how they're going to vote, whether they're married. When, after they get married, they get divorced. Interesting fact, conservatives do well with married people in their 40s. Those same people, if they get divorced, our vote drops 8%. It's significant. Why? It's not something that's easy to explain. But the fact of the matter is there's lots of things that impact people's uh, willingness to consider voting conservative and their uh, willingness and, and their actual willingness to, to, to mark a ballot for us. Uh, and that's what I focus on. Look, we obviously did reasonably well uh, in uh, uh, 2011 with uh, with uh, New Canadians, not perhaps as well as, as some of the mythology, but we did we did reasonably well. Um, in 2015, we actually uh, we we had a big drops in that vote. The exception being uh, the Chinese Canadian community, where we did better with Chinese uh, Canadians in English Canada than we did with um, uh, white Canadians in English Canada. Um, and that vote is being maintained. We saw that in the recent Scarborough Agent Court by-election where uh, we got 41% of the vote in a, in a seat that is uh, more than half uh, Chinese-Canadian. Uh, it's uh, very exciting. Um, the thing that I, I think we have to think about is the appeal, and we have to do a lot more work on the brand, and the Liberals have done a great job of, of, of trying to tell people uh, in those communities that we're racists and things like that. And I think the, the experience of Ford Nation is really interesting. If you look at the 2014 mayoral resort, uh, results in Toronto and you look at the wards that John Tory won and the wards that um, uh, Doug Ford won, um, uh, if you look at the ones Doug Ford won, 
those awards were, when you add it all up, 70% visible minority. And the awards that John Tory won, running as a centrist, the awards he won were 70% white. Uh, so it's not like a little bit close that the ones that, that Doug Ford won were just a little bit more uh, visible minority. It was, it's absolutely stark. It's the exact flip, 70-30 either way. It's a huge um, potential. And uh, that shows that uh, conservative um, uh, anti-establishment uh, uh, messages can have great appeal uh, in, uh, with, with new Canadians, with low-income new Canadians. Uh, but we've got a lot of work to do, um, and I think there's a huge amount of growth potential there. Sure, it's Hamish Marshall. I'm the 2019 National Campaign Manager for the Conservatives. I was intrigued by what you said at the very end about where you see growth potential. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Where, where do you see the next target group of voters? Look, we're going to go after all the voters that left us uh, in the last election, but there's other groups we're seeing great success with. You know, in, uh, in the, the, the Scarborough Agent Court by-election that we had in December, it was extremely fascinating. There's a, a, a riding that is, uh, you know, majority, visible minority, uh, you know, lower income. This is a, not the sort of old stereotypical view of conservatives as old, rich, white people. Uh, and we got 41% there. Uh, and it's interesting, in that same riding on the current boundaries, we would have got 20% there in 2004. So it shows a massive change in the sort of people that are voting for us. And I think that's very exciting, and there's lots of potential there to explore. What factors come into play to a conservative voter? Well, there's lots of things that impact people's willingness to vote for all parties. Age, a little bit, education, um, uh, income, marital status, whether you have kids, whether you're a homeowner or not, um, the amount of crime in your immediate area. These things all have a huge impact. What language you speak uh, at home, uh, that all has an impact. So we have to cr pull that all together and create a com complex ma matrix and, and uh, build targets from there. Are you better off micro-targeting uh, platform elements to certain groups than building a, a national narrative? I think the thing we have to remember about platform and, um, you know, platform is not, policy is not just about the policies themselves and whether or not someone will say, oh, I'm, I'll be better off by that policy, I'm going to vote for party X. Um, it's, also, it's about how you make people feel platform is part of your story and people voted for Justin Trudeau because he made them feel good they made him feel positive and um, a large chunk of the next election is going to be determined about how the different parties make people feel and we'll obviously be doing that how do you want Andrew Shear to make us feel <laughs> stay tuned hello I'm Jason Kenny leader of the United Conservative Party of Alberta conservatism is a uh, it's not a rigid ideology, it's just kind of a general outlook where we believe in the creative power of strong individuals, of civil society, families, local communities, as a, that they're often more effective at solving social problems and preventing them than a huge overbearing state. So this is a, an idea that is eternally relevant in every country at every time. And, um, you know, my view is in the current time it means we have to be a, a, uh, a thoughtful, winsome, common sense kind of conservatism. We have to avoid the... Uh, emptiness and vapidness of, of political opportunism. We don't want to be just uh, liberals with a different color. And uh, we have to avoid the kind of angry populism, demagogic populism that we see in the United States masquerading as conservatism. I don't think the Trump movement is that at all. So I think what we need, one thing we can learn from Justin Trudeau is um, that you can convey your ideas and your uh, policies in, in a uh, optimistic and, and, and uh, winsome way. Uh, where our Harper government went wrong, frankly, was in going out of our way sometimes to make enemies and to look too often like we were being divisive or settling scores. I think the, 
big, that was our big failure. It wasn't a policy failure, it was a tone failure, and that's something that we, we all have to learn from both federal and provincial conservatives. How do you plan to win in Alberta? By being basically competent. competent. That's a good mantra for any human to live by. This special Manning Centre conference episode, well, they're all special, but this one marks our humble podcast's one-year anniversary. Woohoo! Last year, we launched follow-up with the question, what's going on with the Conservative Party? And we're more or less still asking the same question. Good times. If you enjoyed this episode on iTunes, please leave us a review. And as always, we love to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and story ideas. You can reach me through Facebook or Twitter at Althea Raj. That's A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J. A huge thank you this week to co-producer Zian Lam and technical producer Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Next week, we will appear in your feed earlier than expected with a podcast coming from the floor of the NDP convention here in Ottawa. See you in seven days.